I'm just getting to know your pastor, and uh, I like him. That <laughs> was a bad introduction, if I didn't say so myself. So, hey, I, uh, yeah, I am glad to be here. Uh, part of my role is that I mostly hang out with old religious bureaucrats. And so when I don't have to do that, it's like a highlight for me personally. But beyond that, beyond that, I'm absolutely convinced, you know, our world's a little crazy right now, and uh, a lot of churches are struggling to figure out how to sort of interact with the new world as it is, but I still completely believe the church is the hope of the world, and I'm absolutely convinced that you all are the hope of the church. I really believe that. I've seen it now in the last two years play itself out. And you may be coming and you're still figuring out where you're at on this whole God journey deal. But I want to tell you that God does not plan for you to wait until you're older to be the hope of the church, which is the hope of the world, because really the time is now. We're watching these kinds of gatherings, real young adult kinds of gatherings, be what really forces and shapes a community to address the problems it has within its own community and to figure out how to reinvent church. There's a new kind of gathering, a new kind of church forming, and it's being led, it's being led by gatherings just like this. So I gotta tell you, when God starts to stir something in you, don't, don't push that calling off to say, yeah, when I'm like 35 or 45 or 55, I'll do something serious about like leading church and being engaged. I'll do it then. It'll be too late then. I, God's going to call many of you now to step out. We're watching nurses and teachers and business leaders intentionally as they graduate, move to a place so they can start a community like this. We're watching all kinds of amazing things happen from your generation. And that's really why I wanted to be here so badly is because I believe, I really do believe the church is the hope of the world. I think Oasis is the hope of the church all around this region. And so dig in deep with God. Learn and grow and lead where he'll take you because I gotta tell you, from my seat, you're it. You really are it. And so I want tonight, Pastor Brennan gave me an incredible privilege to teach God's word for a few minutes. And I want to go to a story that if you've been to any kind of gathering where they taught the Bible more than about four times, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. If you never have been to any gathering like this, you probably have heard of David and Goliath. And spoiler alert, David's a little guy and he beats the big guy. Like that's how the story goes. If, you, if you're brand new to that story, that's sort of how it ends. Big nine and a half foot tall warrior type and uh, uh, kind of a weenie 17 year old. Actually, weenie's kind of in the Bible. That's how it kind of describes him. Okay. Uh, so it's not totally my word. A little bit, a little bit. But uh, he uses a slingshot and takes him down. And, and, you, and, and, and you hear that story. Maybe if you went to like church as a kid you heard that story but there's something in there that I think most people miss I missed it until just a few years ago and I want to walk back through that story because because here's why 
Here's why. I'll promise that you have a Goliath, a big, bad, giant obstacle opposition coming in your life. I will guarantee you that's coming. I'll also make a second promise to you. The likelihood is that if you're following Christ, you'll pray that God will remove that giant, maybe even if you're not, you'll suddenly want to pray, so you'll start praying, and you'll pray that God will remove that giant, and I bet you he doesn't. I don't like that about God, but I'm not God, so I don't get a pick. We talk about it from time to time, but he doesn't change, right? He just leaves Goliath right in my path. But what he does do is he gets me ready, and he will get you ready if you cooperate. You'll have some choice points in your life about whether what God's trying to do right now in your life to get you ready, you cooperate with that, and that's completely up to you. So I'm going to walk through this. I know at least 65 of you are exhausted tonight, but I'm going to walk through this and we're going to look at these four ways God does this. And I want you to be thinking about your own life to see, is God doing this right now in my life? Because I think right now in this room, he really is preparing you to be, I, I, I use the term giant killer. And I, I, don't, I, I don't mean you actually put to death a nine foot person. Right, But what I do mean is that the giants that come in your life, the big, huge things that's coming that God knows about, he's preparing you right now. So the first of those, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to read the whole story of David and Goliath because I just think that would be boring because I think you know the story. I don't think we need to. And so we're just going to pick little parts of that out. But it's in 1 Samuel 17 if you want to follow along. And the first way God is working, I bet right now in your life, is is by helping you face everyday challenges. Like literally the, the, the exam on Monday, literally the relational breakdown that you're gonna address on Thursday, literally the counseling session you need to go to next week, literally the divorce your parents, like whatever it is, the everyday stuff that you're facing right now, God is using that. And I wanna read a little bit about what David has to say as he explains to the king why it is that he thinks he can kill a Goliath. So let's walk through those scriptures together. We're going to put those on the screen, and, and, and I'm going to read those. Saul replied, the king to David, this scrawny 17-year-old, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul so said, okay, go, right? So here's the deal. David is the youngest in his family. So he's got older siblings. And in David's day, when you were the youngest of the family, you were considered the least important. 
okay? Uh, I'm the oldest in my family, and so I think this is the way it should be. This is how God designed it, and it's just right, okay? But, but in that, that's certainly the case in David's day. He wasn't allowed to go to battle because he's the youngest, so he got to be the sheep person at home while they got to be the warrior folks. And so he's simply just coming to the battle to observe and bring lunch. He observes Goliath challenging his older brothers and everybody else and shrieking back saying, no way, he's too much for us. And he says, well, then I will. And Saul says, why in the world are you doing this? And he says, well, here's the deal. As I watch sheep, a lion would come now, I'd like for you just to think about this, because if I'm the youngest and considered the least important and not valued in my family, and I'm just watching the sheep, which is kind of our livelihood, and a lion comes, my attitude is, you win some, you lose some, right? Every, if you're a business major, you know there's this thing called depreciation, right? And I'd sacrifice a sheep from time to time. I just got to tell you, you know, pick one, just take one and be on your way. It would be kind of my plan. But David decides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do the best with today's challenge. I'm going to go after it. And he does. And let, you don't go into battle with a lion and win and not discover something about God being with you, right? I don't know if you've ever tried that, but you figure out wait a minute, God is actually watching me watch these sheep and he is with me. And David is saying, I learned something. I learned that God is with me. So this Goliath, that's much more scary. God's going to be with me there too. Uh, we have where I live, uh, a rock face a cylinder rock that comes out of the earth. Have you ever, anybody been to Devil's Tower? Yeah, lots of you have been to Devil's Tower. Yeah, it's, it's a place where climbers come from all over the world because it's actually one of the most technical climbs, parts of it, one of the most technical climbs in the northern United States. And I've lived in that region for some time, and many, several years ago, uh, I was challenged by a buddy of mine to climb it with him. I'm not a rock climber per se, but that sounded fun. I always kind of felt, I'm terrified of heights, right? But wouldn't it be cool to be on, anybody here climb Devil's Tower? Anybody? Yeah, no. No, see? It'd be cool because I'd be the only one in the room. This is what I was thinking years ago. I was thinking I'll be in a room like this and I'll be the only, ba I, I can't use that word, but I'll be the only cool guy, right? I'll be, I'll be the one, right? So this, this was on my mind. Actually, I was in ministry then, so... But anyway, uh, so I said to my friend, I'd love to climb it. Let's do this. But again, I'm terrified of heights. That's, that's the only caveat. That, and it's really high. Uh, and it's really straight. And it's, it's, the, it, it's uh, sheer. Like, like, I don't know what rock climbers call it, but it's straight up and down. Uh, and so we get there. And you have to take, in those days, it's been, it's been a few years now, you had to take a little class before they would allow you to climb it, which is crazy. You'd think you'd have to take like, 
you'd have to go to school for a year. But no, you just have to sit there and listen to the ranger person talk about the strength of ropes and carabiners for a little while, and you too can go fall off Devil's Tower, okay? <laughs> Anybody can. And so we did. We sat there for a while, and, 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 and she was tremendous in her teaching. She's like showing how strong the rope is, way more than my weight, and the carabiners and all the harness stuff. And intellectually, I was very convinced that I was good to go, right? But as you know, it's different when you get on the rock, if you've ever climbed anything or have any fear of heights. And we got up about mm, 30, 40% of the way, and we got to this part that literally, as I could tell, had zero hand or footholds of any kind. And the guy I was with who was, who was leading that route uh, he, he was like a typical rock climber kind of person. He was like 130 pounds and all of it was muscle. And I was 200 and none of your business. And uh, not a lot of it was muscle, okay? And so he just shinnies up this. And I'm like, what the heck? And I didn't even, uh, uh, something like that. I said something like that. And, and so he said, well, you just, you just got to climb it. You just got to find the hit, right? And so I start. And I get about halfway up that that place and and I fall now when you fall if you've never done this you don't just fall to where you started you 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 fall to where you're caught which was quite a little bit further and and I screamed I mean I screamed like a fourth grader I I was terrified he says I asked for my mommy I don't remember that okay I really don't remember that but he claims it, and I could have, because I was terrified. And I hit that, but I was okay, right? I, 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 it caught me, rope held, wow. And then the only thing you can do at that point is try again. So, boom, 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 there I go. About the same spot, I fall again. And yes, I did scream again. Uh, I fell four times at that one spot. But guess what? by the fourth time, it was kind of fun. It really was. You should try it. I was, I kind of enjoyed the fall. And sure enough, it caught me. It was kind of cool. I tell you that story, A, because it's fun and I like to, but B, because something happened in my gut, right? I came to believe here that the rope would hold, and it was good. And until you face everyday challenges and discover actually this God thing that they talk about, or this God that I pray to, is real, because I absolutely am convinced that as I faced that challenge, I had help. I prayed about it. I did my best to use godly wisdom. And then when it came in the moment, he was there. When you do that, that builds your faith. That prepares your heart. You can hear a thousand sermons and sing a hundred songs. But until you take a step and discover, oh yeah, when he calls me to something, he's there with me. You'll never know. So the first way is by moving through everyday challenges. The second is by moving through criticism. Again, I, if I were God, it might not be this way, right? Because I hate criticism. Uh, but, 
but he chooses to allow it in my life, and he actually chooses to use it as a way to build the boldness of my heart, the faith of my heart. So the second way is by moving through criticism. Now, I want to read to you an interaction between David and his oldest brother, Eliab. Eliab was like, he was the superstar at home. He was the oldest he was like the captain of the football team, whatever, however, you know, he was chess champion. I don't know in your home what superstar would be, like in yours with your siblings, but whatever that is, this was Eliab. He was captain in the army. He had, you know, every morning he and his buddies would get up uh, as warriors, as members of the army. They'd have a great breakfast. They'd, they'd have bacon and eggs and all that. Actually, they didn't have bacon, they were, but, but they'd, they'd have a great breakfast. They'd sing Kumbaya, they'd do their whole thing, right? They'd go out, this is the day we're taking on Goliath, right? And then boom, he's bigger than we thought. And they'd go back to their tent. 40 days, the story tells us he's been doing this, right? So when Eliab hears that David, his little weenie youngest brother, is going to take on Goliath. He's mad about it. And this is what he says. He says, When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Said David. Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else. Okay, as you start to face everyday challenges, as you walk toward even the Goliaths in your life, here's what I guarantee will happen. The people around you who are shrinking back will begin to criticize you. This is the way life will work your, your whole life. It has been my life. Every time I step out, to something God's calling me to face and an obstacle he wants to help me overcome, I'll face criticism sometimes from the people like right in your family, right in your closest circle. And you'll have three choices. You can turn and begin a battle with that person. And David could have done that, right? He could have stopped facing Goliath and turned and faced Eliab. And this could have been the story of David and Eliab. It probably wouldn't have made the Bible, right? But it could have been the story of David and Eliab. He could have gone back at Eliab. Eliab who's wimping out every morning. Eliab who's supposed to be the one who takes the leadership in this way. He could have gone back at Eliab. And you'll be tempted to be distracted from the battle God's calling you to, to the battle in your face. That'll be one choice you can make. You can go after the criticizer. Or you can shrink back. David could have done that, right? He could have said, oh, yeah, you're right. I am a weenie, right? I don't think he would have said those words, but you know what I mean? He could have shrunk back. He could have said, you're right. I'm a shepherd boy, and you're the warrior. I'm sorry. And we do that too right? So easy to do that. We're not, maybe we feel equipped. We're not the expert. We're not strong enough. We're not educated enough. We don't come from the right family or whatever. When God calls us to do something, we, there's always a sense of inadequacy and people point that out to you, right? They help you feel inadequate, right? So that helps. 
so you can shrink back or you can do what David did. David simply turns from the, he hears the criticism, he reflects on it, he doesn't ignore it because in criticism sometimes can come helpful information, but once doing that, he turns and says he goes to somebody else. He moves on. And you'll have to do that your whole life long. You'll have to not let criticism stop you. You'll have to let it just build you and make you stronger. And you'll have to turn and move right through it. And you'll have to keep doing it because the criticism just gets tougher and tougher and tougher. The third thing that God does is he uniquely trains, he uniquely trains David. God, God, God builds a bold heart in our life by, by very uniquely equipping us. And this is, this is kind of a funny scene in the story of David and Goliath. I'll read a scene to you because Saul, the king's like, okay, David, uh, you can go take on Goliath. We only have one sword and one shield in the whole army, and that's mine, but I'll give it to you. So David puts all this stuff on. Let, let, let me read to you a little bit about what, what happened here. It says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said. He said to Saul, I I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Uh, then it says he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. So, so let's, let's talk about this for a minute. From Saul's perspective... The only way you fought a nine and a half foot giant who was a very skilled warrior is, is with a sword and a shield. But, but what we would come to learn post David and what history now records is that people figured out the best way to kill one of these big warrior champions was actually with a slinger they came to be called. Slingers became so skilled with this slingshot, not like the kind you buy at Walmart today or you, know, you pull back or whatever. These, these, these guys had these long leather straps and they'd spin it in such a way that they could release a rock at, at, a, at, at the same velocity that we currently shoot a bullet out of a 45 automatic pistol today, okay? So that's the velocity they could release a rock. And it said that they were so accurate that they could often hit birds out of the air. Like they were really good with slingshots. Like it was a really good slingshot and they were really good with it. David is on the early edge of this learning. But God, with a lion and a bear and other varmints and, and all kinds of time as a shepherd, has been preparing him to be what? perfectly prepared for Goliath. But nobody around him believes that. And here's what happens. When you take on Goliath, God will have prepared you, but the people around you will tell you you're not ready. And you, or if you're going to, you should do it their way. Maybe it's your mom or your dad, and I'm a, I'm a dad, so I, I hate saying that, but maybe it's your mom, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's a friend will say, well, here's how you do that if you're going to try it. Now, they're not going to do it, right? But here's how you're going to do it. 
Or here's how I did it back in the day. And you've got to trust that God believes in you. And he's uniquely preparing you to change the part of the world that you're called to change. Like he's preparing you, you very uniquely. And you'll do it in a way, and we'll all stand back and say, wow, we never would have thought of that. You may, I mean, after this is over, they're like, whoa, slingshots. Who knew they were that cool, right? Like, wow, they take down Goliaths. Okay, let's go all learn how to use a slingshot. And that actually happened. Like, they, their slingers were developed as a result of this. Trust that God's with you. I trust he's preparing you. you. You're made in his image. And man, he knows the challenges that are coming. And he knows the obstacles. And he's got the answer. He's like super, super smart. It's one of the cool things about God. He's got it figured out. Okay, one more, one more. The last thing, the last thing he does is he, he builds your heart as you walk towards. You're going to have to walk towards your, your big crisis moments in life. You, you're going to want to stop and pause and turn. You have to just one step at a time walk towards crisis moments. You have to be the person in the theater that when the scary monster comes on the screen, you don't shriek back, you take a step forward. You have, you, 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 you have to be the person who steps forward because it's that person that everybody follows and that changes communities and the world. And David does this. If you read the story, I won't read it all, but David picks his rocks up out of the creek and gets them ready. He must have a little pouch. It's like a quick draw pouch that he can put them in his slingshot. You know, and he gets one, he gets one in his pouch, and he, he starts walking towards Goliath. And Goliath sees him coming, and, and, and you may want to read this later because it's some amazing trash talk. If you like trash talk, <clears throat> Goliath is awesome. He starts to tell David how he's going to cut him up. The fact that he's going to feed him to birds, uh, all this other stuff, what he's going to do with his carcass. I mean, it's pretty intense. It's like, it would be intimidating. Well, <clears throat> David's never heard this kind of trash talk before. So David just repeats Goliath's trash talk back to him. If you read the story, uh, 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 David just, I'm going to cut your head off and cut your carcass up and birds are going to eat you. And he starts, anyway, it's kind of gross. I know some of you, okay, so I'll move on. But Really cool trash talk moment for later. Uh, and then he says, by God's hand, I'm going to win. And he does, right? He, he does whatever you do with that slingshot. He releases the rock, hits him right there, knocks him down, uh, at least at least temporarily knocks him unconscious. And then David runs up and, and, and is, is a bit gory, but he cuts his head off and holds it up for both armies on each side of that Armageddon Valley to see. I've been to that valley, and you could have, from both hilltops, you could have seen this, 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 anyway, I won't, we don't need to explain all that, right? So you're like, your eyes are getting cut. Okay, so sees all that stuff, and he would have done that. But watch what happens next. Watch what happens next. Let me read to you what happens next, right here at the end. It says, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. All of these warriors who had been shrinking back for 40 days, when they saw David take on Goliath, something happened in them. And this is really why I'm here tonight. This is why it's so important that you walk towards what God's calling you to because there's so many people 
who need to see that, whose faith in God will be emboldened if you take the step forward. It's amazing when you do what it does in other people's hearts, what it does for them. You, you, you're like God's front lines, and if you step forward, hundreds and thousands do. I know this to be the case. If you don't step, all is lost. It really is. It really is. We, I, I gather all the time in church strategy gathering type things, and here's what we always conclude. If you live sent, sent by the God who sent Jesus, who sent all of us in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, if you live sent, it's awesome what happens. If you don't, there's no hope for this world. That's really the truth. Think about this. Pray about this. I remember as a kid, I, I have a dad. He's not a perfect dad in many ways. But one thing he is, is incredibly courageous. And he's, he, he, he wanted his kids to stand up for justice in every environment that they were in. So I remember as a fourth grader coming home and, and, and sharing with my dad about some of the injustice. I went to a, a very difficult, impoverished school in a, as a fourth grader and a lot of bad crap was happening. And I'd come and I'd share that with my dad and he'd say, well, what did you do about that? And I, well, I didn't do anything about that. <laughs> didn't I just tell you? All the guys, you know, all the people got beat up. Like, I didn't, you know, dad, I'm telling you. Like, well... It sounds like, you know, you, you need to get involved. And I'd go to school and I'd see it happen and I'd think to myself, if my dad was here, he'd probably get involved. Like, that, that's, that wouldn't be happening. I'm, you know, that would hurt. I'm not going to get involved, right? But, but I remember thinking these thoughts until late in my fourth grade year, a situation. My family and I are driving along a country road in West Virginia. This is where we live. And... As we drive along, we see across the road and to our left, a man has a woman by the neck, and he's squeezing her neck, has her, has her bent over, his, is a blue Chevy Nova, I remember it to this day, has her, has her bent over the Nova, and is squeezing and shaking her. And, and people had just been driving by, and my dad slams on the brakes, and yells out his window, hey, stop, what are you doing? Let her go. And he turns, I'll never forget this guy. I mean, I'm in fourth grade, but holy cow, he's a big dude. I had, had, had long curly hair down to his shoulder and had, uh, had, had part of a shirt on and just a big sucker. And he just, uh, my word, I'm sorry, a big uh, man. Uh, and he looks over at my dad, which is, you know, probably 40 yards away or so, and I'll do whatever the I want to do, and you, uh, and he, by the way, he started using words as a fourth grader I had never heard before. Very new, interesting words that were incredibly attention-getting. Uh, and, and my dad said, let her go. Uh, and he, he, he does, he let her go and he gives more attention to my dad and she kind of stumbles away and he says, 
ma'am, do you have a, do you have a place to go? Can you go get help? Can you go call the police? And she kind of staggers away and nods and takes off up the dirt road that, that they were on there. And, and then the guy walks around and opens the trunk and pulls out back in the day. We used to have these things in our car, tire irons, we called them big four pronged things that you use to change a tire, big old heavy things. And he pulls out his tire iron and he begins to tell my dad what he's going to do to him with this tire iron. And it was fascinating. It, it really was. It, again, the description, the language was all new to me. And, and I was, this is pre-seatbelt in my family's life. And so I'm like from the floor over the window back down, like, wow, this is something. And, and he slams the hood and then he begins to walk towards the road that we, we were on. This is when my mom and dad begin to have a heated discussion in the front seat. My mom is convinced that this is time to leave the, the scene, but my dad thinks it's time to, for him to get out of the vehicle. So they begin to have a very heated discussion about this. I don't mean if I've ever heard my mom be so passionate about any topic in my life. Uh, but dad does get out and he shuts the door and he says, uh, lock all the doors. And, uh, you know, if something goes wrong, I left the keys in so you can, you can leave. My mom violently disagrees with this plan and shares that with my dad. And they continue to have a discussion there. But at the same time, their words are being drowned out by this guy's words who's walking towards my dad and with just amazing force and creativity explaining what he's going to do with this tire iron. And as a fourth grader, I am just beside myself with excitement and anxiety all at once. I remember every step the guy took to this moment. It was, it was intense. Uh, but he gets about three and a half feet from my dad and he just stops and he turns around, he goes back, puts his tire iron back in the hood, jumps in his car and, and literally, I, I mean, I know you think I'm doing this for dramatic, no, literally peels out of there. Like he spins his car around and takes off. And wow, was that something. But the problem now is my mom won't let my dad back in the vehicle. <laughs> so there was this negotiation that occurred for a while. And then I remember finally my dad gets back in and we drive to the police station. And I tell that story because I not only remember it because of just how dramatic it was, but something changed in me that day. Like, okay, okay, okay. I'm going back to school on Monday. God, let's do this. Now you think maybe that's a silly deal in a fourth grader's life, but I gotta tell you, I watch it all the time. I watch when somebody in a family, somebody in a group of friends, somebody somewhere steps out and says, you know, this isn't right. This isn't right. And God, God is calling me to do something. 
And what happens is people around, maybe not on day number one, but it's not long before they start stepping out. And it's not long before we see movement happening. But it usually begins with one unsuspecting person who said enough is enough. That's, when it usually, that's how it usually begins. So I want to pray for you tonight. And I just want to pray that maybe, maybe over the course of this year or these next two years or three years or whatever, as you feel God calling you, please, you, you don't have to trust him today that he'll, you know, you'll change the world, but just trust him with the next step. You'll be amazed what God will do in your life. You'll be, you'll be shocked by what God will do in your life. Father in heaven, tonight I really do believe, and I know, I know this to be true because I know you believe this too, that I'm with the hope of the church. You said there'll be these people and they'll be called unto my name and they'll make themselves living sacrifices and they'll go into the world and they'll make disciples. And it's those folks that I'll be with. And I know you're here and I know you're with these women and men in this room. You want to make of them giant killers. You really do. And our world has a lot of giants in it. So God, right now, I'd pray that there'd be some in this room who'd say, every day I'll cooperate with you. Build in me the kind of heart you build in David. Build, build my heart like that. It's not about how strong I am or equipped I am or anything like that. It's just, just simply, I'm just offering my life to you. Build me. Build me into the kind of woman or man, the leader you want me to be. Oh God, give, give some the courage to pray that and then live that out. And then through them, change the world that you created and had so much hope for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.